Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at ViennaAG.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. Well, we are in the book of Revelation, and I'm going to do a quick review from last week. We're in a section of this series that I've titled Cosmic Exodus. And we began last week looking at this middle section of the book of Revelation. And in these chapters, we see three sets of judgments. They're portrayed through the breaking or the opening of seven seals, the sounding of seven trumpets, and the pouring out of seven bowls. So these judgments that take place through these images recall the story of Exodus because they they include some similar plagues. They include the fact that the people of God are sealed and protected from the wrath that is being poured out. And it includes the part that Like Pharaoh's heart was hardened, there are some people that even after these judgments and these wraths are poured out, they harden their heart towards God and curse God. Within each sequence are pauses or delays. There are scenes that are in heaven and there are scenes that are on earth. There is the worship of uncountable peoples from every tribe, nation, and tongue, along with millions upon millions of angelic beings. And there's a scene of a dragon being thrown down from the heavens and a scene of the two prophets proclaiming the message of Christ. And there's a scene of the beast from the sea and the beast from the land. It's got a lot of the imagery in this section that can become fierce and fearsome and confusing and awe-inspiring. But there's within this section of the book of Revelation are a couple of the things that culture-wide become some of the biggest questions that people have about this book. And so we're going to just take time today to talk about those. So the first one is, what is the importance of the number 666? Okay? So everyone seems to know that it means something, but what? What exactly does this number mean? Why is it a scary number? Is it similar to a superstition? Is it like Friday the 13th or a black cat running across your path? Is there something powerful in that number? Can the number 666 do something to me? Can it exert control over me? So for ex- have you ever been at a checkout? And your total comes to $6.66. And you say, 
Oh, my. Um, here, I'll buy this pack of gum, too. Please add that to my ticket because I can't ever buy something that costs $6.66. Huh? Have any of you ever experienced that? What, what's going on there? What is that about? Why do we have that attitude about it? <laughs> I have a financial instrument that the last three numbers are, you guessed it, 666. So sometimes when you're having to share that number on the phone or something, you know, it's like, you know, I, that happened this last week. I said, yeah, it's my Antichrist card. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's a thing that people are afraid of that number. Like some people would, would turn that in and say, uh-uh, I can't keep that card. But I just want us to look at where it ta is talked about in this book, and then we're just going to try to understand a little bit. What about the number 666? So if you're ready, we're going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 13. I'm starting at the end of the chapter, and then we're going to go back in a few minutes and look back at the beginning. But Revelation 13, I'm going to start at verse 11. The beast out of the earth. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. He ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast, who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. He required everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So a couple of things to note about this beast is um, many of the scholars that I've been studying will explain this section as parody. And that caught me off guard at first because I think of parody as um, com a comedy or something like that. But parody meaning that the, 
description of these beasts are they are trying to copy the true thing. They are trying, it's like a counterfeit, and it is exaggerated in some ways. And so it's, if you notice, it said that this one had two horns like a lamb. Well, where else have we already read about a lamb in the book of Revelation? The lamb of God who was slain is the only one that could even be worthy to open these seals. My friends, we are in the power of the true Lamb of God, not this fake copycat beast, okay? So just keep that in mind when we're thinking about this reality. It says that he was permitted, given some power. He does not have within his own self the power to do anything. In God's grand understanding of everything, there are things that are permitted, and we have to trust God in his sovereignty on that. But this beast is not God. <laughs> this beast does not have the power of God. He does not threaten God's power. God is all-powerful. So about this number. Well, one of the things, you know, it says that this mark is either the name of the beast or the number. So there is a um, code type, almost game, that is, uh, was part of the culture at the time called gematria. G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A, if you want to Google it. Um, it is a Hebrew alphanumeric code or cipher it was used in biblical times and was later adopted by other cultures. So scholars who understand how this code worked, using this method, interpret 666 that it can spell, actually it can spell a lot of things, but specifically to this text, both beast, it can spell beast, and Nero Caesar. And so one understanding of this number is that John is identifying the beast with the imperial cult of the day. And this is the thing that we need to understand. John said, wisdom is needed here. And I want us to receive some wisdom right now. Every generation is tasked with paying attention to the beastly aspects of our world's power systems. And every generation must choose where our allegiance will be. Do we worship the beast with its promise of power, prosperity, and peace? The beast will offer that, but keep in mind it is a counterfeit. It is rotten at its core. Or do we worship the one true God, the lamb that was slain, the Lord of lords, the king of kings? We must 
have wisdom and understand that that spirit, it was, uh, it was there then when this was being written, and it continues to be there through every world empire, through every world system, always trying to get us to shift our allegiance to it instead of to the one true God. An interesting element of the Hebrew alphanumeric code is that the name of Jesus in Greek would come out to be 888. So one scholar pointed out that that would be one, every digit, 888 is one more than if it had been 777 which is, you know, seven is the, the completeness. So Jesus would be the one above, the even more, even higher, even the best. And 666 would be the one falling short of completeness. And so again, this idea of it's the number of a man. It is pointing out that man will never measure up. <laughs> to completeness in ourselves. We must be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We must accept His salvation into our lives. And that is what we need. That is an interesting interpretation of that. I'm not saying it's the full meaning, but it's something to uh, look at. So there, there are considerations about the number 666, but here's the main thing that John is calling for. He's calling for wisdom. Be discerning. Be perceptive and not foolish, as the Apostle Paul described, being tossed about with every wind of doctrine. We do not need to be superstitious about this number now frankly we don't need to be superstitious about anything okay <laughs> but we don't need to get afraid that if somehow a serial number on something you bought has the 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 uh, sequence 666 that you've let a demon into your house i mean let go of that we don't have to feel that way about this number we need to have wisdom and pay attention to the world system. This is about taking your allegiance and worshiping something other than God. That's what this is about. So grow in grace and wisdom in the Lord Jesus Christ and be vigilant to worship him only. Do not allow your allegiance to things of this world and this is, this is a part of daily discipleship, friends. You may, you may come to learn, you know what? I have been yielding my allegiance to something that I shouldn't have. And, then that, and when the Holy Spirit brings that to you, that's when it's time for you to repent of that and move forward. The Holy Spirit is in us. We are sealed. The, you know, we are told that, that we have the seal of the Holy Spirit. We do not have to be afraid of this. And I just want to say that as clearly and firmly as I possibly can. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of this. Have wisdom. All right. So what is the mark of the beast? 
Well, the passage we just read was talking about this and mentioned there was a first beast. So I want us to go back a moment and see the full, how did these beasts get introduced to us in the book of Revelation, all right? So it actually started with a heavenly vision in chapter 12 of a dragon. So let's look at Revelation 12, and I'm just going to read the first part, um, verses 1 through 6. Then I witnessed in heaven an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her. 1,260 days. So to understand the beast, we've got to pay attention to this vision of the dragon. As in every part of the book of Revelation, interpretations are diverse regarding this vision, but a strong consensus states that this vision describes the incarnation of Christ and Satan's desire to destroy him. Another layer could also be to see that Christ's birth Death, resurrection, and ascension, where it says he was caught up to God and to his throne, brings about the birth of the church so that the protective care of God in this vision relates to the people of God and his church. So the vision goes on to describe a war in heaven in the rest of chapter 12, that the dragon is cast down to the earth. And then the final verse of chapter 12 reads, Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea, which leads right into chapter 13, 1 and 2. Then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. So again, we see in this description another parody 
It is the dragon, which has been named Satan, attempting his own incarnation, a beast coming up out of the sea, which in the scripture often means chaos or, or the the place of evil, this beast comes out that has the same number of horns and stuff like the dragon and trying to make his own um, image go forward and have this power. That's where this beast comes from. So it's the first beast. There's two in chapter 13. They've been given their power from the dragon, the devil, Satan. And he is the one inspiring this cosmic rebellion against God. So now this description of the first beast is fearsome. And it's actually really challenging to, if you were to try to take each of the descriptions and and illustrate it, it doesn't come together. It doesn't work. And so some scholars are saying that's actually not John's intention. We're not supposed to be able to visualize fully this beast, but to instead understand the components that make it up. And it is a retelling of the vision from the book of Daniel in chapter 7, where he prophesies about the coming world empires, and there are four beasts. What happens with this beast is it is this um, weird compilation of all of those together into one ghastly beast. So the mark of the beast is described as being made on one's hand or one's forehead. Now, this again is a parody, a, a counterfeit. It is mimicking God who in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy told his people to write his commands where? on their forehead and on their hands. Why? So that they would have the commands of God, the power of God, the word of God ever with them to help them to live according to God's plan for their life, to be living as God's people. The command in Deuteronomy begins with the Hebrew Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. In every aspect of this dragon-beast combo, they are trying to, uh, to supplant the one true God. That's the whole goal here. And so what about this mark of the beast? Can can, do you need to be afraid of it? The mark of the beast cannot be put on you as a child of God. It cannot happen. You are not going to accidentally take the mark of the beast. It is a sign of outright defiance against God. Purposeful, rebellious 
rebellion against God, against his people, violence against his people, an intentional choice to worship another, to be an enemy of Christ, to pledge your allegiance to the beast. You can't do it by accident. We are called to love. We are called to follow Jesus, not with a spirit of fear. And one of the things that has hindered me over the years of being ready to preach on Revelation is the fact that I get this sense of how afraid people are when they get into reading this stuff and thinking about it. And I'm telling you, that is not what we're called to. We are not called to a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. The message of the book of Revelation is not to make us afraid of secret numbers or accidental tattoos, okay? It's not going to happen. It is giving us the invitation and the opportunity to see beyond this outer layer of things, to understand there is indeed a cosmic battle, and to encourage us to forever take our stand with Jesus. In my studies for this series, I have learned from multiple sources that John's purpose in this rich and fascinating book of Revelation is to encourage God's people to hold fast to their faith, to endure to the end, to overcome. I am convinced, friends, going to say it again, we do not need to be afraid of the number 666, nor do we need to be concerned that the mark of the beast is going to sneak up on us and steal us away from the family of God. But here is something that I would like to end with today that I think we should be concerned about. I think it is something to pay attention to so that we won't give up. I am concerned that our theology of suffering needs to be aligned with the truth of Scripture. John was encouraging the churches that were facing various levels of opposition or persecution or false teaching or apathy, he was coming to them and saying, don't give up. Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. James said, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for joy. <laughs> Peter said, don't be surprised when you encounter trials of all kinds. Paul said that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. So pay attention here a minute. If we have a theology 
that the primary reason to serve God is so that I get the life I want. Then when life becomes hard, I might decide, well, faith in God isn't working for me. I think I'll try something else. And here's what I want to guarantee you. The beast is standing ready with something else. It's all a sham, a parody, a counterfeit, but he's ready. The scripture says many will be deceived. And I am concerned that part of that deception is possible because people are putting selfish conditions on their commitment to Christ. I would prefer not to suffer. (laughs) I would like to be free from pain and anxiety and worries and trials. I wish our brothers and sisters around the world We're not facing persecution and imprisonment and death for their faith in Jesus. We don't understand how privileged we are here in terms of our freedom to worship God. But here's the thing. We do live in the hope of the coming of our Lord. But his kingdom is not fully realized yet. And we were never promised that we would not have suffering. So back to that list of what does the scripture say about it? Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. James said, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Why? Because you love feeling crummy? No, because those who endure trials and temptation will receive the crown of life. Peter said, don't be surprised when you encounter trials of all kinds because your faith will be proven to be more precious than gold. Paul said that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. But in Romans 8, we read this, no, despite all these things, Despite 675,000 deaths in the United States alone from COVID, despite the challenges that you are facing in your life right now, despite the pain you feel in relationships breaking up, despite the hassles you have at work, despite any of that, overwhelming victory is ours Through Christ who loved us. He didn't promise us we wouldn't face these things 
He didn't promise we wouldn't suffer, but he did promise this. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, whatever those are, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to be afraid of the mark of the beast. We do not have to be afraid of a number 666. But my friend, we do need to be sure that we are committed to Jesus Christ. No matter what we suffer, we will not give up on our Lord and Savior. He is the one who is worthy of our praise. He is the one that will deliver us out of this. It might not look like what I wish it would look like, but I I can depend on him. He will bring us through to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. That's my message for today to understand. And I feel like the Holy Spirit was trying to say that to each of us. Do not give up. Do not give up. Do not put your trust in anything other than Jesus Christ. That is our firm foundation. That is how we can know that we will live with him, the crown of life, and not be afraid of whatever the enemy might try to put in front of us. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would truly grasp the word, worthy is the lamb. And that we would honor you, Jesus, with the fullness of that. And not be afraid of what the enemy may try to do. We want to fully serve you, and I will not give quarter to the enemy. I will not be afraid of the tricks that he might try to play. I am going to serve you, Jesus. And I pray that as we have been exploring these things in the Revelation, that we truly are being strengthened in our inner selves, that we would be steadfast, holding on to being the one who overcomes and receiving that crown of life. God, I pray for everyone that's listening today that we would be encouraged to know that you are the one 
who is worthy to open the seals. You are the one that is holy. And you must be holy and judge those that would be evil and rebel. But that we don't have to be afraid of that because we are going to receive you as our Lord. So I just pray for that spirit of encouragement to be there with us this week. God, I pray that if there are false gods calling out for our allegiance, please reveal it to us. Give us that wisdom where John said, this takes wisdom. We've got to understand and not allow our allegiance to anything but you. I pray that you would give us insight and revelation and to know how to, how to choose you and to not have allegiance to things that are not of you. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcast and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week. At Vienna Assembly of God, we love God, others, and life. And we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.